0: This morning we are in 1 Kings, starting a new series, continuing right on from 2 Samuel right into 1 Kings, and we find that David is growing old. In many ways, it is difficult to grow old. There are physical problems that develop and limitations on what one is able to do. We have to relinquish responsibilities to others. And that can be hard to do. As our text opens, David is old, and it is impacting his kingly duties. We already saw weeks ago that David had no longer been going out with the army, uh, no longer able to go to battle. But now David is quite old, and those years are catching up with him. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Now King David was old and advanced in years. And again, in verse 15 of chapter 1, it says, So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old. How old was David? Well, he's approximately 70 years of age. 2 Samuel chapter 5, verse 4 tells us that David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 40 years. So 30 plus 40 is 70, and David is about to die in the passage that is before us. So there are going to be some major changes that are going to be taking place with David's death. And this morning, we are focusing upon the inevitable. That is the difficult transition that's going to take place in the kingdom. A king is going to need to replace David as king. So as we look through this passage and learn the lessons from that transition, the first thing we want to note is that David is old and declining physically. One example that David is old and that age is catching up with him, it is that his circulation is extremely poor. In verse 1, now King David was old and advanced in years, and although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Could not get warm. So his circulation was deteriorating and he was cold all the time. So his servants looked for a human heating blanket for David in verses 2 to 4. Therefore his servants said to him, let a young woman be sought for my lord the king and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that my lord the king may be warm." So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shumanite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. I think the primary reason that the scripture tells us that David did not know her was again to stress the physical condition of David. He was weak. There may be some secondary issues that are associated with that, and we will look at those next week as we move into chapter 2. But David is physically weak. However, David's mental capacity has stayed with him. He's still mentally sharp, as we will see as we work through this passage. Now, Adonijah is ambitious and sees in David's decline an opportunity for Adonijah to make himself king seems like it's time in Adonijah's mind for David to step aside and Adonijah wants to become king in 1 Kings chapter 1 verse 5 it reads now Adonijah the son of Haggith exalted himself saying I will be king the emphasis in the narrative is in that Adonijah does all this of his own initiative. Notice it says in verse 5 that he exalted himself. Everything is done of his own initiation. This is his own plan. This is his own scheming. So what contributed to Adonijah's self-promotion? How did he have the audacity to declare himself the new king, over Israel. Well, there's an interesting interjection at this point in the text, verse 6, if you look at that. It says, His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? Now, his father is David, of course. And our attention is, is directed to David, not as king, but as father. Verse six, his father had never at any time disciplined him by asking, why have you done thus and so? Up until this point in the text, the emphasis has been upon David as king. He's consistently referred to as the king in verses two through four. Notice it reads, therefore his servants said to him, let a young woman be sought my lord the king and let her wait on the king and let and be in his service let her lie in your arms that my lord the king and so it's the king the king the king the king until you get to verse 6 and now it's not even referring to David by name but by his position as father of Adonijah and what we are introduced to at this point is David's role as father And David was a permissive father. He was not confrontational at all in dealing with his son. If you look at verse 6, it says his father had never at any time, those are strong words, never at any time displeased him, that is Adonijah, by asking, why have you done thus and so? To put it bluntly, Ajaniah was a spoiled brat. Adonijah had gotten what he wanted all the time. David never did anything that would upset, displease Adonijah. David never did or said anything that would cause Adonijah to experience, <coughs> <coughs> me. experience disappointment or to have... A negative outcome for the consequences of his actions. We find that David was a contributor to Adonijah's actions. Adonijah wanted to be king, and Adonijah had always gotten his way. Thus, we should not be surprised by Adonijah's actions. They were not out of character for Adonijah. If he wanted something, He got it. Nor was David's relationship to Azonijah out of character for David. David had failed repeatedly in disciplining his sons. If you remember, we have the whole incident that started off with Amnon and Amnon killing his brother and David not holding him accountable whatsoever for what he had done. Then you have Absalom's rebellion. And David not holding Absalom accountable. And now we have Adonijah. So this was in keeping with David's character. In each instance, David's failure to discipline his sons had implications not only for the family, but also for the kingdom. And that's important to keep in mind. Each one of those failures with each son impacted not only the family dynamics, but impacted the kingdom and the kingship. The way that we rear our children have very significant and important outcomes, not just for them individually, but for those around them as well. Well, Adonijah receives help from others to make him king. First, he got some advice from others as what to do, verse 7. He conferred, that is, he counseled with Joab, the son of Zariah, and with Abiathar, the priest. And they supported Adjaniah in his quest for kingship, for it says they followed Adjaniah, and they helped him at the end of verse 7. However, other influential people were not supportive of Adjaniah, verse 7. Eight, but Zadok the priest and Benaiah the uh, son of Jehoiada and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Re and David's mighty men were not with Azuniah and when it says they were not with him that isn't referring just to the fact that they were not physically present with Azuniah it means they were on his side they were on his side there were two groups those that supported Azuniah those that did not So, Ajaniah makes it look like he had strong backing to be king, that he deserved to be king. First, he made it look like he had the Lord's backing in verse 9. Ajaniah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fatted cattle by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogal. Then he made it look like he had the backing of all the leaders of the kingdom. Second half of verse 9. And he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah. However, he did not in actuality have everyone's backing, and he knew it. Verse 10. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. It's important for us to realize that when people want to promote themselves, they are going to manipulate people, and in seeking to accomplish their own agenda, they use people and, again, manipulate them. We need to be very much aware of the tactics that people use. And I would point out to you that Ajunaya begins by trying to shroud himself in a superficial religiosity. He goes and he offers sacrifices. Not out of sincerity. Not out of a true worship for God. He knows he's not to be the next king. He knows what he is doing in disobedience. He does it to gain the approval of the people. He does it so that people will view him as a spiritual leader. And we need to have our eyes wide open (laughs) that it's commonplace for people who are not believers, people who are not religious at all, will shroud themselves in religious language in order to get the support of religious people. So don't be duped by people that talk about God, but have no relationship to God. Such people use religion to their own benefit, and they manipulate others by so doing. David's hand is forced. He's going to now have to do something. He's going to have to face the issue of as wanting to be the next king. So the narrative now falls into three distinct sections. The first is Nathan's words to Bathsheba. Secondly, Bathsheba's words to David. And then thirdly, Nathan's words to David. So we start with Nathan's words to Bathsheba. Nathan informs Bathsheba of all that's taking place, verse 11. Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And that's important. We're reminded, of course we know, but we're reminded that Bathsheba is Solomon's mother. And uh, he says to her, Have you not heard that Ajaniah, the son of Haggath, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? First he says, Do you realize, do you realize, That Adoniah has just made himself king, but David does not know it. So Nathan tells Bathsheba what to do, verses 2 and 3. Now therefore come, let me give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon, for truly they were in danger. If Adoniah became king, most likely he would have had uh, Bathsheba and Solomon killed because he knows that Solomon is the rightful person For the throne. Verse 13. Go in peace at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Azaniah king? So it's important to understand that Nathan is aware of the promise that Solomon will be the next king. In fact, David had sworn to that effect. When David actually made that promise to Bathsheba, we cannot say with absolute uh, definiteness, but we do know that when David had first desired to build a temple way back in the beginning of his kingship, that the Lord had sent Nathan to David to tell David that he would not build a temple, but his son would. In 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 12 and 13, so David knows that a son is going to follow him as king. But we do know that God had revealed to David that Solomon was to follow David as the next king. In 1 Chronicles chapter 22, you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, we get more of the historical timeline of what is and has taken place. We left off at the end of 2 Samuel, where David had numbered the people, and as a result, a plague had come, and David had offered a sacrifice on a threshing floor. And if you remember, I I mentioned the fact that that place where that sacrifice was offered on that threshing floor was going to be the very place where the temple stood. Well, according to 2 Chronicles, right after David offers that sacrifice, David begins to amass a great amount of wealth and building materials in order for the temple to be built. He knows that he can't build that temple, but... He also knows that his heir is going to build that temple. And in that period of time, we know that David is very much aware that that heir is Solomon. First First Chronicles chapter 22, verses 9 and 10 reads as follows. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his surrounding enemies. For his name shall be Solomon... And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. I will be his father. And I will establish his royal throne in Israel forever. So here is this proclamation of God that Solomon is going to be the next king. This had become common knowledge. And it is due to that common knowledge that Adonijah does not invite Solomon to this feast of which he is pronouncing himself as king. He knows that what he is doing is out of bounds. Well, once again, we return to Nathan's conversation with Bathsheba. 1 Kings 1.14. Then while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. Then we have Bathsheba's words to David, verses 15 through 21. So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shumanite was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said, What do you desire? She said to him, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now, behold, Adonijah is king, although you, my lord, the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fatted cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab, the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he is not invited. And now, my lord, the king, the eyes of all Israel are, are on you, to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him, otherwise it will come to pass when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. Then we have Nathan's words to David. He comes immediately upon Bathsheba's uh, words, 1 Kings 1:22 and following, while she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in, and they told the king he is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, My lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me and shall sit on my throne? For he has gone this day and has sacrificed oxen, fat and cattle, and sheep in abundance. And has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him and saying, 'Long live king Azaniah. But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon he is not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king, and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? All this to say, as we look at this account, Nathan stands in tremendous contrast to Ajaniah. Nathan still respects David as king. Even though David is weak and feeble and literally on his deathbed, Nathan still speaks to and works through David. He still respects David's authority and is willing to leave the matter in David's hands. Dave, Nathan does not execute a mini-rebellion of his own by taking matters into his own hands. He doesn't say, David is old, he's out of it. <laughs> we got to do something about this. we got to take matters in his own hands. He goes to David. And the point is, if he would not have gone to David, then there would not have been much difference between himself and David. He would have been usurping David's authority. He would have been taking things into his own hands. But as long as David is alive, Nathan is going to respect David as the king over Israel. Lesson, it's important that we respect a leader as long as that leader is in office no matter what their physical condition may be. And you will find that there will be those that want to undermine a person's authority when they're viewed as limited in their physical capabilities. But Nathan remains faithful to David. It's important for two reasons. One, for the respect of the office. David is king and kings are to be respected, and secondly, it's submission to the sovereignty of God, who establishes and removes removes kings. God can remove David when it's time for David to be removed. Well, David takes action. First, he summons Bathsheba. Verse twenty-eight. Then King David answered. Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And David reaffirms his promise to Bathsheba to make Solomon king. Verses 29 and 30. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity. As I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so will I do this day. Then we have Bathsheba's response in verse 31. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord the king live forever. Bathsheba still honors David. And I want you to think with me for a few moments of how hard that would have been for Bathsheba. For she's experienced a lot of pain and a lot of hardship, but yet, Like Nathan, she still respects and honors David as king. Look with me again at verse 15, the first entrance of Bathsheba. Verse 15, so Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shumanite was attending to the king. I want you to think about how hard that must have been for Bathsheba to see Abishag there and caring for David. Why was David receiving comfort from Abishag and not Bathsheba? Why was it necessary to find someone that was extremely young and beautiful to lay next to him. could not Bathsheba have kept him warm? What does that say about her? Remember, Bathsheba, when she was young, was extremely beautiful. That's what enticed David to commit adultery with her because of her beauty. Well, not only is David old and advanced in years, Bathsheba has gotten older, too. And Bathsheba has lost her looks. And so someone younger and more beautiful has been sought to replace her. You can, I think, readily understand what someone's natural emotional response would be to a situation like that. That's hard, that's difficult, that's that's painful. How she must have felt diminished. How easily angered she could have been. And so I say with that background how we need to, I think, marvel at Bathsheba's recognition of her husband's position and the way in which she honors David as king. Notice 1 Kings chapter one, verse thirty-one. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king. She showed great respect to David. Remember, this is her husband. This is her husband with this young woman that is taking care of him. But he's the king. He's the king. And she honors David. As the king. And in that honoring of David as king, she says, the end of verse 31, and I want you to look at this, she said, May my Lord King David live forever. May my Lord King David live forever. Now, as you work through that statement, may the Lord, my Lord King David, live forever, at first glance, That sounds like a ridiculous statement. David is not going to live forever. David's on his deathbed. The whole conversation centers around the fact that David's going to die and somebody's got to replace him as king. So why does she say, May the Lord... King David, live forever. Well, one way to look at it would be to say, well, that was just a formality. That was just what people said and did. Uh, That was the way in which a person responded to a king. It's kind of like a salutation in a letter that begins, dear so-and-so. Well, sometimes the person you write to is not all that dear. But you use the word dear as a formality. That's what people say, that's what People do. But there are other occasions when you write dear so-and-so, they really are dear to you. <laughs> they really are precious to you. They, they really are important to you. I don't think that this is just a statement of formality for it would not have been necessary to make that statement. It could have been omitted very easily, and she still would have shown respect by bowing. By And I I don't think it's just a statement of stupidity of not recognizing the way things are. She realizes he's close to death. She realizes he's on his deathbed. They're talking about his death, and they're talking about who's going to replace him. But rather, I think it expresses a sincere and true desire on her part. In her mind, it would have been wonderful if David could have continued on as king forever.
1: Nothing would have made her happier
0: than if her husband David, the king, would have just continued on as king forever. Again, this is a demonstration of respect, recognizing David and his authority application it is wonderful it is wonderful when a person comes to the end of their leadership an end of their role an end of their ministry an end of their productivity if it is with people's desire that they wish that you could continue forever everybody knows that can't happen everybody knows that that's not what is the next step but the point is that when David dies, there is this recognition that David is going to be missed. David is going to be missed. Well, David summons Zadok, Nathan and Beniah. Verse 32, King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benjamin the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king. And David gives detailed orders for installing Solomon as king. Verses 33 to 35. The king said to them, Take with you the servants of your lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then crown Then you shall come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benjamin gives a very positive response, verse 36 and 37, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord, King David. Well, David's orders are carried out, verses 38 and uh, 39 and 40. Well, word comes back to Ajaniah and the entourage that are with him that David has established Solomon as king. So what's their response? Well, first, Adonijah and those with him become aware that Something is happening back in Jerusalem. Verse 41, And Ajaniah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they were finished feasting. The the, it is the sound of a trumpet, the clamor that's taking place in the city. So word comes from Jonathan, the son of Abiathar. Verse 42, While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came. Remember, Abiathar is the priest that's with him in verse 7. And so in verse 42, it's assumed that Jonathan is coming with good news. End of verse 42. Come in, for you are a worthy man, and bring good news. Jonathan brings Adonijah some bad news. Verse 43, Jonathan answered Adonijah, no, 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 I'm not coming with good news. For our Lord King David has made Solomon king. He then informs Adonijah the details relating to, David's having made Solomon the king, verses 44 through 46. And the king sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they had him ride on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon. And they have gone out from there rejoicing so that the city is in uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. And then we have a statement about David's response. First Kings 147. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our Lord King David, saying, "May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours, and make his throne greater than your throne." This speaks volumes about David. Notice what it says. May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than your throne. Remember Saul's response when the people were saying, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. How angered he got. Because David was rising up in greater authority and power and respect. And it angered, it angered Saul. But David is not angered at the thought that Solomon is going to be more famous than he is. And that his throne is going to be greater than David's. And the reality is that's going to be true. That is going to be true. He is going to be more famous, and his throne, his kingdom, is going to be the largest that it ever is in the entire nation of Israel. And then we have this act of David at the end of verse 47. May God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours and make his throne greater than you, And now notice these words, and the king bowed himself on his bed. The king bowed himself on his bed. He can't even get up. But he makes a physical gesture. With what little strength he has, he bows himself on his bed, acknowledging Solomon's kingship. Now, Solomon is king, and David is bowing to Solomon.
1: I can't enforce
0: enough how wonderful and how unique that is. For all too often, when there is a succession in power when authority passes that the person who passes that authority does not want to see prosperity, does not want to see the kingdom advance, does not want this person to get more respect, more honor than they have. All you have to do is begin by just looking at
1: the political world in which we live.
0: And the normal course of action is that when one person loses power, that party does everything they can not to promote the next leader, but to undermine them. And they want to continue to exalt the former leader rather than give that respect and that power and that authority to the new leader. That happens Everywhere. Not just in politics. It happens everywhere. But one place it should never
1: happen is in the church. The church.
0: We should never put ourselves above or before the kingdom's work. We should always desire that it goes forward. That the person who replaces us will meet with greater success. And we should do all that we can to ensure that success. You see, all these verses have been David promoting Solomon. Let him ride on my mule. Gives instruction about how Solomon is going to be treated and David makes it clear that David is in support of what is taking place, even to the place of bowing before him. David is truly thankful that God would keep the kingdom prospering, verse 48. And the king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, mine own eyes seeing it. And so he is rejoicing in the goodness of God. David's legacy would continue on. But David is thankful, thankful that he was able to be alive and see it.
1: He's happy that it takes place
0: in his lifetime. He isn't holding on until he breathes his last breath. He knows the time has come. He knows it's appropriate. And he's actually thankful that he's still alive to see it. Well, the response of Adonai and his guests. Well, the guests feared for their lives, verse 49, then all the guests of Adonai trembled and rose and each went his own way. Ajaniah feared for his life as well, verses 50 and 51. And Azaniah feared Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. And then it was told Solomon, Behold, Ajaniah fears King Solomon for bold. He has laid hold on the thrones of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death with a sword. So he realizes that he's deserving of death for this usurpation of authority, and he pleads for mercy. Solomon will spare the life of Ajaniah if he behaves himself, verse 52. Solomon said, If you will show himself a worthy man not one of the the heirs shall fall to the earth but if wickedness is found in him he shall die so Adonai pledges allegiance to Solomon and is set free verse 53 so King Solomon sent and they brought him down from the altar and he came and paid homage to the king Solomon and Solomon said to him go to your house there's a lot more to this we'll see that next week But this is where the narrative ends for today. So, what do we learn from a passage such as this? Well, the first thing I would point out to you as really important to keep in mind is the relationship between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. God's sovereignty and human responsibility. In this passage, God had declared his will. God had declared what he was going to do, namely that Solomon was going to be the successor to David. Everybody knew that that's what God said. So what is a person's human responsibility to the declared will of God? The answer is to submit to it. It's to live in keeping with the knowledge that we have of God's will. Both in large ways and in small ways. First in large ways. That one lives in anticipation of Solomon being the next king. Of which Azuniah does not. And so he is not willing to accept the will of God. He's not willing to submit to what God's word has to say, and so he fights against it. Another important lesson, you can't fight against the will of God and win. It's foolish. It's detrimental. It's never gonna work. And yet, people do it all the time. Knowing what God declares, but That's not what they want to do. Adonijah had never been displeased, always got his own way, and figured he would get his own way again. Well, God is not like David, and God's will is going to be accomplished.
1: But it's also
0: submission to God in the small things, in the little things. For not only would Solomon become the next king, but he would become the next king in keeping with God's plan.
1: And so Nathan
0: and Benaiah and Bathsheba are willing to submit to and support David as long as he is the king. And even though they can see problems on the horizon, <laughs> and, and they're not even on the horizon, they're on their doorstep. Here is Abaniah. He has declared himself to be king. But Nathan doesn't run to the army and say, you need to do something about this. <laughs> we, got, we got a rebellion going on our hands, and we better knock this down or Solomon will never become king. He doesn't do that. Because that's not the will of God. Nathan's a prophet. Nathan understands that his role is to be submissive to the king and to authority. And so he goes to David. This weak guy. What can he do? But he goes to David. And David, though he has no physical strength, has a good mind, and he acts appropriately. And is able to handle the situation. And there is a rightful passing of power. In such a way that David still remains respected, and at the same time uses that respect to promote Solomon which is what we should always do with the respect that we have. Whatever influence we have, whatever way in which we can have an influence over other people's behavior, it's absolutely essential that what we do is promote others and not ourselves. Promote the work of God. To promote the future well-being of the kingdom. That's the Christian's role. And that's what David does on this occasion. What we need to do is to always act in accordance with the revealed will of God in the large details and in the small details. We always want to be on God's side. We always want to be doing what God would have us to do. God is big enough that he can bring his will to pass. The question is will we submit to it or will we fight against it? Will we rely on our ingenuity and plans and scheming and armies or will we rely upon God? And believe that God will work through the means that he has ordained, the means that he has established. Let ultimately our trust and confidence always be in God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for a passage such as this. And we realize that David was not perfect by any means. And yet we see the way in which those around him honored him simply because he was the king. A king that you had placed in power, a king that you had placed in authority, and so they recognized that in honoring David, ultimately they were honoring the Lord. We have Ajaniah who pretended to honor the Lord by offering these sacrifices, but in reality was dishonoring the Lord, for he wanted his own will and not the will of God. Lord, we see people having to take sides in this passage. People that, sat, that, that uh, took the side of Ageniah, the people that took the side of David. And Lord, we also marvel that Solomon stays out of it. Solomon does not promote himself. Solomon knows that he is to be the next king. And yet, Solomon doesn't rise up. It isn't Solomon who goes to David. It's Nathan. Lord, teach us about humility. Teach us about leadership. Teach us about influence and how our influence is to be used for the honor and glory of God. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would give us leaders that would stand for the things of God and that we would do everything in our power to promote them so that they can be successful. And we ask, Lord, even in the life of our church, that the work would always go forward, that it would always prosper, that it would have a greater outreach, a, a greater impact, and that it would do nothing but bring rejoicing to our hearts. For it's not about us. It's about you. And we desire your name to be glorified. We desire people to be blessed by you. Lord, we desire your influence to be known. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.